Well, good morning. My name is Lee Taylor. I'm the pastor of discipleship here. It's always a joy and a privilege to worship with the Village 7 family and any guests and friends that might be here this morning. It's a great joy to be together. My wife Becky and I celebrated our 12-year anniversary last weekend, so that's exciting. Thank you. Uh, and I heard a good one about that the other day. I heard that being a good husband is like being a stand-up comedian. You need at least 10 years experience before you can call yourself a beginner. <laughs> and I think that's true. I, I feel like I just got started in a lot of ways. Uh, but I, I really, I'm fascinated by stand-up comedians. I'm fascinated by how they craft words in different ways and they say things in such a way to solicit laughter. And so I'm always listening to, 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 to comedians. I love people listening to people give speeches and sermons and different things like that. I'm, I'm always fascinated by that because we as people are obsessed with words. We're obsessed with words and how to use them in different ways. And we love to play games that have to do with words and all sorts of things. And so I was looking it up this week and saw that, uh, I don't know if it's quite as big as it used to be, but there's over 200 million users with the Words with Friends game. 200 million users. There's 500 million tweets per day on Twitter. 500 million. Verizon alone covers 800 million calls per day. And there's somewhere around 6 billion texts sent every day worldwide. Maybe some of you are sending one right now. <laughs> Find the phones. <laughs> but we're obsessed with words. We're obsessed with talking and, and hearing from people and playing games about words and seeing, you know, what, what we're thinking about. We want to learn more about words and where they come from, what are the roots, what are the origins. Even when we study the Bible, we look at the Hebrew and the Greek and we want to understand them because words matter. Words matter. Words make us laugh. They make us fall in love. They solicit grief and doubt and fear. And some of you, probably most of you are familiar with the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Anybody believe in that phrase? Is that like your life motto? Anybody out there? Probably not. If you've been through junior high, you realize that's not true. Because words matter, words do hurt. It's not just, it's, it's, it's not just true that, that, that words can, are hurtful, but they, they change us, they mold us, they shape us for good and for bad. And that's a lot of what we're going to look at today. And a lot of times it's not even words that are used. How many of you are familiar with the silent treatment? Again, another Blessing of junior high, right? The silent treatment, it's a cruel punishment for all of us extroverts and verbal processors out there. Does that feel a little one-sided? There's no like alternative for introverts and internal processors. Silent treatment for you guys, you're like, this is great. I can do this all day. I feel like there needs to be some kind of alternative where you can like snap your fingers and throw somebody into a dinner party with strangers. <laughs> No, I don't actually want that, 
But those things matter. So things that are said and even things that are not said that maybe should be said, all those things matter. We remember when our parents or our loved ones tell us that they love us and that they're proud of us and that we're important. And you can probably even have a flashback to some of those pivotal moments in your life when people have said very poignant, important things. Or you remember things not being said that you wanted to be said. Because words matter. So it's no, should be, no, it should be no surprise to us that the book of Proverbs about wisdom, it's a book chock full of, of wisdom, talks a lot about words. It talks a lot about speech, as was just read by Chris throughout chapter 10 and even through all of the book of Proverbs. You could do a whole sermon series on words in the book of Proverbs, the power of words. We're just going to look at these verses in chapter 10 today, but it has a lot to say about it, about speech and lies and being slow to speak and being prudent with our speak and how words have the power to heal. And so we are going to look at two things today, two things. We're going to look at words, the power of words have the power to, to hurt and words have the power to heal. Words have the power to, power to hurt and the power to heal. So what is Solomon saying about these hurtful words? If you want to just look in chapter 10 in the verses that were just read, you can kind of scan through there and see some of these things about how words can be hurtful. They conceal violence. They stir up strife. They lack sense. They bring ruin near. They lead others astray. It conceals hatred and slander and and are, they're too many. We use too many words, and they're of little worth. So all these phrases just talking about how words can divide and hurt and bring us down. And we use too many words, and we shouldn't be using as many words. Now, there's a lot that I could say today that would probably go one in, one in ear and out the other. There's a lot I could say about that. Uh, but this is where we have to start today. We have to start by acknowledging that we are all guilty of using hurtful words. We're all guilty of using hurtful words. And I think even just as an interactive exercise, a responsive confession this morning, I want us to just confess that together. So repeat after me. Say, I am guilty of using hurtful words. There you go. Some of you are like, it's really nice to hear my spouse say that today. <laughs> it's true. And today I want us to think about this, this, these hurtful words. And in a moment we're going to talk about how words can heal and they can bring us together. And this idea of hurts of commission and hurts of omission. And some of you might not be super familiar with those words, but you've maybe heard the phrases of, sin of commission and a sin of omission. And, and we get that in understanding that a commission is like a command or a duty, things that we're supposed to do. And so a sin of commission is something where you're like making a direct sinful act in opposition to God's word. So you're doing exactly what God's word calls us not to do. That is a sin of commission. Now a sin of omission is not doing something that God's word commands us to do. 
So the word omission being like omit from something or withholding something that we should be doing or should be saying. And I think it was, it's been really helpful for me this week to think about it in those categories. And a lot, we get a lot of this, even some of you might be thinking about um, a Westminster Shorter Catechism question 14 of what is sin? Well, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. So it's any want of conformity unto or transgression of. So the commission, sin of commission is the transgression of the law of God, knowing what God's word says and not doing that, doing the opposite of that. And any omission of want of conformity unto, of changing, of pulling away from what God's word asks us to do. So that's kind of where we get that, those phrases of sin of commission and sin of omission. But I want to think about this in our hurtful words the hurtful words of commission. So look down in in verse 12. It says, where hatred stirs up strife, rejecting reproof, leading others astray. So going in exact opposition to what God calls us to do. Now, some of you, you just did it because I forced you to, but some of you are maybe a little too proud to admit that you use hurtful words, which is why I had to kind of forced that a second ago. But I'll just come out and say it. You're not fooling anybody. (laughs) You're not fooling anybody. Prideful and angry people are easy to spot. Just find the people that can't lose a board game. (laughs) Or maybe with your coworkers and you have, you offer up some idea and it gets shot down and so you just pout the rest of the meeting. Or maybe you have a a friend or family member where you like literally can't ever remember them saying the phrase, I'm sorry. These people say things like, I'm just being honest, or, you know, my parents never apologized, or I'm just a truth teller, or you must have misunderstood me. Now, some of you right now, I'm feeling you starting to pull back a little bit. You're like, hey, 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 hey. Not today, but maybe something I said pegged you. First of all, it pegs me. I pegged myself. That's part of what preaching is about is preaching to yourself all week long and realizing this, is, this exposes me. This calls me out. This pegs me. And so maybe we can be a people. I think we want to be a people that sit under God's word. And when you sit under God's word, you let it kind of slice at you. You let it shape you. You let it cut at you and, and, and tear things out and conform you and make you more like Jesus. That's what we, as followers of Christ, ultimately want. Now, the truth of that is it really hurts. It hurts to have those hard things said about us, things that we need to change, things that are pretty ugly. But we want to let it transform us. And so maybe today can be a monumental day for many people in this room where you let down your guard of defensiveness and you say, you know what? Let's see what God's word has to say about how I use my words. But I've been, I've used hurtful words. I use hurtful words all the time. And I've had people say hurtful things to me been called all sorts of names, been called self-righteous and needy and pathetic and all these things that hurt. It hurts to have those things said about you. 
So those are things we were talking about. These are words that are said, slicing words that are said that go direct opposition, go direct opposition against God's word. Now, what are all those hurts of omission? Things that maybe, you know, should be said that weren't said. Because these can be just as hurtful, being hurt by something that is not said. Think of James chapter 4, verse 17. Maybe some of you have thought about this already where James says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. And so the right thing to do, or maybe you could even just say the right thing to say, and fails to do it for him, it is sin. And so that's a, the hurting words of omission. And so here's a little pop quiz for all of you parents out there. Is it right to tell your kids that you love them and that they're important and that they're special? Is it right to do that? Yes. Good job. You got that one right. If it's right to do that, then we should be doing this. And I just wanted to free all of you up to this. Some of you are like, well, I'm not really that good at that. Or, you know, I, I don't really know. It's been a long time. Or maybe you're 70 years old. And you're like, you know, I just never really said that to my kids. And now you have adult kids. And they've got, you've got grandkids. Tell your kids you love them. Kids need to hear that their mom and dad love them. And that you think they are special and important. Because they are. They need to hear it. Not just see it, not just know it, they need to hear it. Later in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, he says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life, the power to hurt, the power to heal. And the fruits are going to be the effects of what is said or what, it, or what is not said. Death and life. So if we can start by acknowledging that we've hurt people with our words, what's the next step? What's the next step? Well, it's repentance. Repentance is the bridge between words that hurt and words that heal. Repentance, repentance is the bridge between, between those things because we've all used hurting words and then we acknowledge, we want to turn away. That's what repentance is, turning away from the wrongdoing and wanting to turn towards what we see from God's word. And so the words that heal, the repentance is the bridge between those things. And this is, how, this is just how God articulates our uh, repentance in 2 Chronicles 7.14. It's a helpful way to kind of hear it. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's a really helpful just kind of construct for repentance. Humble themselves, pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. And then God hears from heaven and forgives the sin and heals the land. So repentance first requires humility, looking to God and turning from one's ways. It's an acknowledgement of wrongdoing. An acknowledgement of wrongdoing and turning to Jesus. Now, I don't know if this is the, 
if this is the way it is with all dogs, but I have a golden retriever and his name's Topper. Uh, he's so cute. I love him to death. Uh, he's an amazing dog. I should have brought a, put a picture up there, but just picture that. If you've seen the movie Up, the Pixar movie Up, just think of that dog, Doug. That's my golden retriever with a little bit more white in his face. But I don't know if this is the way with all dogs, but he's a really good boy, but he does get a little bad and ornery at times. And he gets really upset when we go away for a couple hours. And so his way of punishing us for leaving the house for that long is that he'll wander into the bathroom, he'll go into the trash, and he'll rip up all the tissues of the trash in there and just tear it all apart, a million pieces on the bathroom floor, even trickle it into the living room some. So I'll come home, you know, and I'll look around the corner and I'll see it, you know, the crime scene. And, uh, and so I, I see it, you know, he's made his point. And so I turn around and normally he knows, like when I've like turned to the bathroom, he like knows what's happened. So he's found his little spot. And I, right when my eyes just flip back towards him, he's like this, you know, <laughs> just cowering. And he even starts at times to just kind of start, start crawl towards me a little bit. <laughs> even dogs have an understanding, acknowledgement of wrongdoing and a turning to the master, right? Even dogs understand these things, and he knows that he'll get, I'll be a little stern, but he'll be received with love and kindness, and I'll just remember to close the bathroom door next time. <laughs> but we all need to understand this level of repentance and humility, turning to the Lord. Now look back at verse 12. It says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Love covers all offenses. So how else does, can loving speech manifest itself and bring about healing? Well, read throughout many of the phrases in this passage. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. The wise lay up knowledge. Whoever heeds instructions is on the path to life. Whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, and the lips of the righteous feed many. So we have the hurts of commission, the hurts of omission, these words that hurt or not saying certain things that we should say that hurt. And now this would be kind of the healing of commission, the healing words of commission. These are someone owning things that have hurt, owning things that they have done wrong, owning things that have broken us in a lot of ways. And some of you might be even reflecting upon some of those powerful, tear-soaked, I'm so sorry, and I love you. Those are powerful words to hear. Those are healing words and the reason why words can heal is because we're made for relationships. We're made for conversation. We're made to hear things about us and to speak things upon other people. We are image bearers of the triune God who before the creation of the world existed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect community. Perfect community. Conversing, encouraging, edifying. 
And then the second person of the Trinity, you know, Jesus Christ is the word become flesh. The word become flesh and dwelt among us. And that the word of God, the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It's breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching. The words are meant to point to the word that we hear from God. Words are meant to be redemptive and bring about human flourishing. Words can rewrite any broken narrative. Words can make the sad things come untrue. So what would be the healings of omission? What are, what's the healing words that we can hear? Or, or, you know, healing things that we don't necessarily hear in words, but that are done. Things that aren't said. Well, this is where forgiveness comes in. One of the phrases here in our text is restraining lips is prudent. With, withholding the words, withholding the words that you want to say, this is where forgiveness takes place, friends. This is the power of forgiveness because in order for healing to take place, we must forgive in our hearts. And yes, it can be healing to heal the words I'm sorry, but, or I forgive you, but it's also extremely important to not, to, to forgive first in our hearts. Because oftentimes, you know, those things can just become lip service. You know, just saying some of those phrases. And Tim Keller puts it powerfully in his book, The Reason for God. This is, I'm not even kidding, this has transformed my life, friends. And uh, this understanding of forgiveness and putting it this way, and this is how he words it. Forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone when you want to do so, do so with all your being is agony. It's a form of suffering. You not only suffer the original loss of happiness, reputation, and opportunity, but now you forego the consolation of inflicting the same on them. You are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. It hurts terribly. Many people would say it feels like a kind of a death. Yes, but it is a death that leads to resurrection instead of the lifelong living death of bitterness and cynicism. He goes on to ask the question that he often gets, but, but shouldn't they be held accountable? And he says, yes, but only if you first forgive. Only if you first forgive. And he goes on even further to say that a lot of times our desire for accountability, really what's underneath that is the desire for vengeance. Is the desire for vengeance. Has God helped you forgive someone like this? Have you been forgiven like this? Where every single time you want to say something painful, you want to say something hurtful, you want to rake somebody over the coals, you don't. You play out the gospel. You say there's nothing that this person hasn't done to me that I haven't done in spades to the Lord. And so you put it in that the gospel metrics of sorts and you 
and you forgive in your heart and it still, it hurts. These are the powerful healing words of omission, not saying the things that you want to say and not just stuffing it, not just avoiding it, because if you really understand the gospel, you understand where we have the power to forgive. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The lips of the righteous feed many. Words are a fountain of life meant to be redemptive and healing, not self-serving, not vindictive or bitter or cynical. And as Henry Nowen, author, spiritual speaker and director, he says this, when our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we have become wounded healers. We have become wounded healers. A wounded healer that means very, very much to our family is uh, our dear friend Kristen. She's my wife Becky's best friend and her and her husband Houston and they have a little baby boy Joe. They, they're family to us. And Kristen is a beautiful person who, who has an amazing story and it is a tragic and beautiful story. Kristen Kristen, uh, she had a hard life when she was a kid, and she didn't hear the things that you need to hear as a kid, and she did hear the things that you shouldn't hear as a kid. Even just being with her a month ago, she uh, was through tears talking about how she can't remember hearing the, the phrase, I love you, from her parents. And what's extremely painful is that it was not the same way with her siblings. She was singled out for no reason. And it, and it's, it was extremely hurtful and damaging. And so she, she was someone that didn't really grow up in the church that much, but she had a friend invite her to youth group. So all you teenagers out there, invite a friend to youth group. You never know what God can do. And adults as well, not to youth group, but church. <laughs> um, she had a friend bring her to youth group and she was kind of like oh, I don't really want to be a part of this I don't really you know I don't really want what you're selling but she had a youth leader named Tracy and she came after her and she just kept pursuing her and she just kept showing up she just kept showing up at all these things in Kristen's life and it was kind of like what is going on here and she was modeling the gospel to her she was showing her the love that she had never experienced from a loved one. And so Kristen ended up understanding the gospel and coming to faith. And, and then, you know, years later, she ends up going into ministry because she wants to pour into to younger girls and she wants to show up for them the same way Tracy did. Tracy would take Kristen, she took her to get her driver's license. She took her to go shopping and to be there for all the special events of life. And Kristen started doing that she goes on to get her master's in counseling, and she sits with hurting people. She sits with hurting people. They didn't just, re they just recently had their son, but they had a lot of flexibility before that. They, would, they flew out here for our girls' birthdays, <laughs> for the special events for my girl's life, to, call, to, to, be, to just tell them they love them and that they're special. That's what it means to be a wounded healer. 
pointing to the one, pointing to Jesus, who will one day make all the sad things come untrue. And this is only possible because what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Jesus received the ultimate silent treatment by being forsaken by the Father on the cross and not hearing the words. The words went silent. And he didn't do that to shame us. He did that because he loves us so that he could receive the rejection and by grace through faith we would receive the acceptance, the, the blessing of God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would hear the words of acceptance and blessing, words that we all long for, that we are his beloved children, Jesus, the ultimate healer, and through his wounds we're healed. This is the model, the ethic, and where the power comes from to be ambassadors of healing, agents of healing. And this is who we need to be as a church, Village 7, the world is hurting and most of us are hurting. We know pain. Many of you know pain. You know people sitting around you, the pain that they're going through. But we walk the talk, we walk, the walk and talk the talk. You know, we, we kind of look pretty good on the outside, but inside we need a healing word, a healing embrace. Let's not be cynical or proud or critical. Let's be wounded healers. So a few questions up here for reflection that I want you to maybe just think about this week. How have you contributed to a hurt of commission or omission? How are things that you've said or things that you haven't said that you should say? How can you engage in healings of commission? Blessing words, healing words. Or not saying things that you want to say and by way of forgiveness, forgiving in your hearts, turning to the Lord. And what are some things that Jesus said or did that were healing to those around him? We can look to him. He is our model. He is why we're here. He is what gives us a life. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great joy the great joy of being your children, that you have come and died so that we can live. You have called us sons and daughters. You've raised us up. You've given us a name. And you've given us an identity. And I pray that that security, that status those healing words that we hear from your gospel, that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and that we are your children, that those words would give us a joy to be in your presence, a joy to be the body of Christ, and a joy to go out into this world to be agents of healing, agents of reconciliation in a lost and broken world. Help us to do that this week, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.